all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Follow us on Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitch at All Bad Things Pod. Yes, all mm-hmm. bad things pod. Email us all bad things pod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group and our Discord. Do all of those things. Mm-hmm. What you drinking? Well, I was just gonna ask you that. <laughs> since you, since we you, are both drinking. Since that was basically like a commercial for like a beer, like <sighs> or a soda. Yes, blue moon light sky citrus wheat. Yes, citrus wheat. Wheat. But uh, yeah. I was at a pool party all, all day. So. <laughs> so you're feeling a little toasted brain from the, little, all the well, sun A little bit. Like, I'm realizing, like, now like now that I'm home, like, how tired I am. Yes. <laughs> Being the, the sun <laughs> is I exhausting. Was, I was literally in the sun all fucking day. Yeah. And I'm, we're not talking about, like, 75 degrees. Like, no, it was it's like, like, it was 90. like 90. It was like, mm. it was a manageable 90. Yeah. It was like 92. <laughs> it's cool these yeah. days. Thankfully, there was a pool there, so. Yeah. You yeah. don't look too burned or anything. Did you use sunblock? I did. Go- yes, you'd very be proud good. of me. Very good. I, I am. No skin cancer, please. <laughs> um, uh, you went to a, a very fun concert recently, did you not? I did. I uh, Yeah, I, I meant to. I, I will now post some mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. photos and video on. I didn't take that much. I don't when I'm at an event. Yeah, you want to experience well, it. Well, I'll take a little bit. Like, especially, like, before it starts, I'll take yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. Because nothing's going on yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I went and saw Rage Against the Machine last Sunday. Like, mm-hmm. pretty much, like... Man, I think the only band like through my teens and twenties at this point that I have not seen that was a huge influence on me and yeah. that is Radiohead. I think that's it. Yeah. Uh, and f- unfortunately, for some reason, they're not on tour. Like yeah. this was like the year that everybody's on tour. Well, maybe, because maybe they're realizing no, well, they, it's not over. <laughs> or they they might be recording. Who mm-hmm. knows? But pretty much because obviously twenty in the summer there was no touring. Right. 21, there was some. A little bit. Some were canceled, some yeah. were scheduled, yeah. This is the year that it's like, no, like, fucking everybody's on tour this year. <sighs> yeah, unfortunately. But, uh, <laughs> but man, like, I expected there to be, like, a lot of speaking, and this song is about that. Like, that's kind of what I expected. Because yeah. that's kind of, because if you're at a Rage Against the Machine concert. Right. You're on the same page with everybody that's there's, in there because. politics. Yeah. Because you literally would not be there if you felt even slightly differently. Although you said some weirdos conservatives have thought that rage is like a lately, conservative but band. Yes, lately because they want to claim everything oh, nowadays. Yeah. But you wouldn't see you wouldn't see a hardcore Trump award, I don't think, at a Rage Against the Machine concert. You wouldn't see a cop there, I'll tell you that. That's true. <laughs> but uh but no, they came out, they played like exactly like a ninety minute set. Yeah. Probably all their best songs. There was like one song I was like, man, I was what like, song? I wanted, um, I don't think, was it Know Your Enemy or Wake Up? I think it was Know Your Enemy. Mm-hmm. It's just got a great opening and like, mm-hmm. like I wanted to hear it live, yeah. but they, did, they didn't play that one, but they played all their best songs. I mean, start to finish and yeah. took like maybe like a two minute break in between. Mm-hmm. 
And it was just like, it, it was the feedback from this one album where it's, it's Tom Morello trying to figure out how to play the solo for Bulls on Parade. So it's like his outtakes. Oh, okay. <clears throat> uh-huh. um, which was really cool to hear. I was like, yeah. man, I haven't heard that. And I was like, I haven't yeah. listened to that album in a fucking mm-hmm. long time. I kind of forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't realize at the time that that's what you were listening to. Oh, but he's okay. admitted over, he's like, no, those are the outtakes for me huh. trying to figure out how to play huh. the solo. And they to, kept it in. Yes. To, okay. Um, it was like one of those hidden tracks, like okay. after the album was over. Uh-huh. But um, but man, like my neck was still sore on Wednesday. <laughs> like they just fucking the they just fucking brought it. I yeah. mean, it it helped that this was only like the fourth or fifth show on this okay. tour, so it's uh-huh. still early in their tour. Right? Yeah. But still man, the energy. But Zach, like in the second show, I guess the lead singer fucked mm. up his leg. Yeah. So, so he was sitting. You said yes. He couldn't. He had to be <laughs> helped. Be he had to be helped himself. onto and off of the stage. But even just sitting down, he mm-hmm. was basically like sitting down uh, right where the monitors are. Okay. So he's sitting like at the front of the stage in the yeah. center. But even him just sitting down, like he was just... His upper body still oh, going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was still bringing it. And yeah. like, I've been to a lot of shows at PNC Arena, uh-huh. a lot of rock shows, hard rock shows uh-huh. even. Never seen a pit open up. And like three different pits opened up. Yeah. Like especially at the end because yeah. they finished it off with Killing in the Name, which right. the, the obvious closer. Yeah. I was like, they're either going to open with it or yes. close with it. It's an opener or a closer. I was like, if they didn't open with it, which mm-hmm. they didn't, uh, I was like, it's definitely the closer. The last one. Yeah. So, it was, I mean, the yeah. energy was just... It, oh, it's, I'm sure. These are dudes in their fucking mid-50s. And they're yeah. just, the, the energy was just off the charts. It really was. Well, and, like, politically, their stuff is... I mean, they're important again. Back again, uh, back yeah. around, yeah. yeah. Actually, I they wouldn't never even went say back style. around. No, they never went out of style. No, I would say they have never been more. Their sentiment has never been more popular in their like no, their I don't think band so. lifetime. No, when, it, when when they came out when they were out in the '90s, obviously again, like I'll preface this, not for everybody, but for right. most Americans, like things were really good, and it's just like. That Certainly is, for middle class white America, yeah, and, that, and now even middle class white America is starting yeah. to kind of and so mm-hmm. rage like towards the end of the '90s and 2000s. It's not like they became a novelty. It was just like it's they're just nobody's not necess- just angry. It's just, yeah, <laughs> they right. Are. It's just like you guys just kind of aren't necessary. Yeah, yeah. you know we don't feel your rage. Yeah, now a lot of us feel yeah. their rage. I mean, yeah. so it was, and a lot of us hate the machine now. Yeah, and. Yeah, I love like the the Twitter people like that I've seen and have been like, well, they're just so over the top and this and that. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, the name of the band isn't. We're slightly indifferent to the machine, or we kind of disagree with the machine. They're called Rage Against the Machine. Like it's not, um, it's not subtle at all. Was I about yeah. to hit that? Yeah, it was okay. right behind your head. <laughs> I usually do once and then I move it. But, um, uh, but yeah, they're like, not Florence in the machine. They are not. <laughs> they are definitely not. I doubt Circle Pits opened up at, at Florence. At Florence in no, the I don't think so. <laughs> oh, dog days are, are over. My favorite. <laughs> but I would say, like, yeah, I would say like sixty-five percent of the crowd were people my age, like in their forties, like when we were in mm-hmm. high school when this mm-hmm. band first became popular. But man, thankfully, I was like, I saw plenty of people in their twenties. Good. I saw a couple of different uh, kids there with their parents. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I could tell they were all walking together. I'm right. like, that must be their parents or their aunt and uncle. Or, you know. Well, frankly, people younger than us have a lot more to be angry about. The band, I think, is much more relevant to them yes. than it ever was to mm-hmm. me. I mean, mm-hmm. I things were pretty fucking good growing up for the most part. Well, and we're going to die before the 
worst of the climate change that some of the younger kids are going to have. Or to... will we? No, we will die before okay. the worst of it because they're no. just going to see it get worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah, we're is... going to see it, but right, we're... Right now, this is the good times. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. When there's fucking heat waves in Europe killing people. Yeah, that's the good times. What? They don't have air conditioning in Europe. <laughs> they might have to get it. That might be the next evolution of Europe is everybody's got AC. Hey, when I lived in Rochester, like one of the the biggest companies that was around, like local companies, like that's what they did was heating and cooling. I'm like, heating and cooling? Like that 10, even 10 years earlier wouldn't have existed. Like yeah. nobody was getting air conditioning yeah. in their homes in Western New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, some people call it air con. Yeah. <laughs> I always called it AC growing up. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I'm sure everybody loved all of that, right? <laughs> I'm sure. I apologize. I have some show-relevant news. Okay. We are up to 994,000 all-time wow. listens. Wow. We're so close. And we're very close to we're a million. We're two episodes away. Yeah. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. That's, that's right. We got about 3,000 an episode over time. It took us a very long time to get there, but that's okay. okay. That's who we are. We're our first small. episode okay had that. 34 or 35, something like that. It was mostly our friends and family yeah. and us. I don't think it was that either because we didn't tell anybody. <laughs> no, we did. I think yeah, we did. But that, I, I maybe think that's... I didn't tell anybody. <laughs> and, and now, interestingly, most of our friends and family do not listen. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, I thought that was... I thought that was interesting. Absolutely. Um, also, I got an email from, or we got an email from Nicole. Okay. Uh, you skipped an entire paragraph did I? in the script, yeah, apparently. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I definitely did it once. I know I did it once because I caught myself. and. Okay. So I definitely, so I guess I skipped another one and didn't realize it. Okay. So um, the this skipped paragraph. Um, and did it have some important information yeah, in it? Yeah, it, it says. <laughs> It gives the the fate of Balto. Uh, well, whatever. Because we talked about Togo, but we didn't talk Watch about Watch the movie, folks. <laughs> okay, so here is the skipped paragraph. <laughs> yes. Balto's fate nearly turned to tragedy. He and his team wound up as a sideshow in Southern California. Oh. And were kept in a small, hot, and stuffy back room where Did people we... could pay to go in to look at them. We yeah. just watched a movie about exploiting animals, didn't we? Which one? Nope. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Go see Nope. Definitely Man. go see it. I, think, I swear, Jordan Peele's I think at this point, new favorite filmmaker. I'm like, that's his best movie. I'm like, I like really? it. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. See, I I think Get Out is pretty masterful. And I, I think really like Dust. I think they're, I, I think they're all good they're to all great. Good. Or yes, very good. Yes, I, I agree. I agree. But I think of the three, like, this is the movie I've thought about, like, the most since I I've gotcha. seen it. Well, it, it, yeah, it has a lot to put together in mm-hmm. retrospect, doesn't it? Uh, plus, like, Daniel Kaluuya should be in everything ever made. I and, think uh, he's what's her name? genius. And oh, Kiki Palmer yeah, was, she was really she was hilarious. And the, the, the other guy was good in it, too. Oh, the guy the, who played the angel? The yeah, the tech guy? Yeah, the tech guy. Yeah. He was pretty good. Uh, Brendan Pina, I think his name is. Okay. And uh, Steve Yoon was in it. Yep. Um, he was good for the limited time. He, he, he wasn't was. in there much. And Margo from uh, For All Mankind. Had, like, I forget. I don't know two. her name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, that, no, it was go, a really good movie. Go see that movie. Don't. Don't look up any spoilers and go yeah, see the movie. Just it's, go see it. And then, and then watch all the analytical stuff afterwards. Yeah. Okay. 
Balto Street. <laughs> Nearly turned sorry, to tragedy. Nicole. Okay, yes, sorry, Nicole. <laughs> so a stuffy back room where people could pay to go and look at them. The dogs were in bad shape in 1927 when a businessman from Cleveland recognized them and purchased the seven that remained, including both Balto and Fox. Remember that was mm-hmm. another one. Uh, bailing them out of the poor conditions and bringing him with them to Ohio. They were hitched to a sled and driven through Cleveland to the Brookside Zoo, where 15,000 came to see them on their first day and where they lived for the rest of their lives. Balto died in 1933, outliving Fox and all but one of the other dogs. And his body is part of the collection of the Cleveland Natural History Museum. Really? Okay, sure. Togo's body, also stuffed upon his death, was originally on display in Connecticut, but he has since returned to Alaska and is on display at the Iditarod Sled Dog Race Museum in Anchorage. An animated movie about Balto, which took many, many liberties, was released in 1995. Really? It wasn't that long ago. Oh, yeah. I remember we looked it up, but I I didn't remember it was that old. The 2019 film about Togo is considered, quote, generally accurate. Yeah. Um, Had Had Willem Dafoe in it. There were a couple other skipped lines in the script, but this is the only major chunk that was missing and the only information overly critical to the story. I'll try to make the font size bigger if I ever write anything else. (laughs) You do write in gigantic font. Mm -hmm. It's it's easier to follow. Yep. Also, also the Togo movie is on Disney Plus, I believe. Mm -hmm. And if you wind up watching... Yeah, we watched the trailer. Yeah. We did. If you wind up watching the Balto movie, know that one of the liberties it took was that Balto was not part wolf, and wolf dogs actually aren't good choices for sled dogs and are rarely used. People tend to think adding wolf to a dog will make them stronger and tougher, but wolves aren't suited to dog sled, and wolf dogs are usually much slower than full dogs are. And wolves have a much different life. I mean, they're not. Wolves aren't domesticated. No. So most yeah. of the rest of the falsehoods the movie propagates. Now that you know the story, will be <laughs> well, pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Takes takes liberties. I had replied to Nicole. Sorry, David skipped over that. It tends to happen. Yeah. I, I do that with my own scripts that <laughs> I, I think write. You do. <laughs> Imagine how I'm going to butcher yours. <laughs> well, uh, this one, unfortunately, like I'm going to read it, but it's big yeah. font. Good. This is, we've got another Steven script. Steven oh, nice. and Nicole are keeping yes. us... Actually, we're keeping getting a, us afloat. We're getting a bunch of scripts maybe and a bunch just, of people maybe, telling maybe us... Maybe we should start a Patreon for them. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> Keep sending them. Right? Um, uh, it, it is so helpful. It really, really is. Uh, especially, like... I mean, there's... there. I have no excuse for why I don't do more research sometimes other than ADD. Which has gotten worse lately. Now that I'm not struggling with anxiety and depression, it's just the ADD struggling. left. Struggling. Thanks for coming in there, but <laughs> <laughs> sorry, it's okay. But um, I also love the listener scripts. I love. I their... do too. I enjoy them. Yeah, it's it's fun. Yes. It's like discovering this stuff as we're reading. Mm-hmm. It's it's Look, very I, fun. I think I've said it before, but I mean. People's personalities come out in their yes, scripts. I mean, uh-huh. they really do. Mm-hmm. So that's the fun part about them for me. And it's it's nice if people like whoever likes doing them, like, go for it. Send it. Absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're Absolutely. Never, one thing is guaranteed. We're never going to reject it. That's right. <laughs> we, will, we will get to it someday. Now, I will Even if say... it takes two years and you having to send us an email <laughs> to right. remind us. Uh-huh. 
hopefully maybe we should start dropping like what we might do just right? in case there are, <laughs> that just randomly happened to work out in our favor accidentally twice. Right. Um, now I will say there are occasions. So we have like an average length of episodes and it's, you know, X number of pages or whatever um, of certain size font, whatever. But uh, so occasionally someone will send in a script that's a little on the short side, right? So if you ever hear your topic, but you can tell that, well, and I'll always say it, but if there's extra stuff thrown in, it's not because I didn't think your script was good. It's because I'm just kind of filling it out a little bit yeah. to, to get it to our average I think, length. I think most you know. understand that. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to give that. You do not have to do any specific length of script period, end of story, even just a bunch of links is helpful, um, or an outline or whatever you feel like doing. But that's just to say, like, please don't be insulted. It's not saying we didn't think your script was good or good enough. It's just to, to get us to our average length. That's all. So, all right. So Stephen, our uh, regular supplier <laughs> script yes. from New Zealand, uh, who enjoys a good nautical theme. He does. Very yes. much so. Well, it's probably because he lives on an island. Oh, that could be part of it. <laughs> a lot of ships are on an island. That's well, going to be my guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the story of the Great Eastern or Brunel's White Elephant. What's the name of the ship? That, okay. We'll yeah. find out. I think it's a ship. <laughs> I, 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 I hope was, so. I, I think like, it is. Did, I is think somebody I going on a psychedelic trip? The White <laughs> Elephant? What? If at first you don't succeed, give up. It was probably a stupid idea in the first place. <laughs> I make no apology that's for... The, uh, that's the motto for the modern-day Democrat. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I make no apology for including Isambard's famous his fa family history in this script. Mark Brunel was a... Well, I guess this is like a preamble. Mark Brunel was a refugee and a huge influence in his son's life. He designed and built machinery to make boots for soldiers fighting in the Napoleonic War using his oh. own money and went bankrupt doing it. He then went on to design an underwater tunneling system that earned him a knighthood. We will see how that... Yeah, we know he lived a long time ago because if he was de designing shit for Napoleon, we're talking like the 1820s, mm -hmm. 30s, 40s, we're find somewhere out. in there. Yeah. Sources are the Great Eastern Facebook page, oh. Wikipedia, the Dorkamotive podcast, the Seven Wonders of the Industrial World, and History.com. Sure. Hey, his History.com is a good one, isn't it? Do you know also, <laughs> I uh, signed us up for a Britannica subscription. Yeah, hey, so. yeah. If you need any of that for research, let me know. Yeah, I got that. That's an encyclopedia, by the way. Because <laughs> there are some of you that are probably like, what's a Britannica? Oh, uh, do you remember the old commercials, the Encyclopedia Britannica, yeah. back before we the had, internet? We had like one Did or you two of them. Those were fucking expensive. Mm -hmm. they, they were. Imagine they, the work that goes into that. They were seriously like actual, actual like leather bound books that smelled of a rich mahogany. <laughs> I mean, they. Yeah. I mean, they, they some serious shit. Yeah. Some deep shit. <laughs> so, Isambard Kingdom Brunel, that's a name, was, yes, was born on the 9th of April, 1806, in Portsmouth. Portsmouth. UK, imagine? I, was, it, I immediately think, I love how Stephen's just like, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I immediately think New Hampshire. <laughs> I know. I, I feel like this is the UK. Yeah. I could be wrong. Most articles on Isambard comment on how short he was. The average height of a man in the 1850s was just 5 foot 5 inches. Mm -hmm. 
he some part was around five foot. Most also mention his trademark stovepipe hat. These hats were not uncommon at the time, and most men would have worn some kind of hat at the time. Yeah, this is like a Blinken days. This is the time when men wore hats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even in, it's so hilarious. Even Little in, did we know that an Australian band would come out 150 years later called Men Without Hats. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Men Without Hats? Yeah, that's who sings uh, Safety Dance. Oh, okay. See, I was thinking of Men at Work. That's a different band, but yes. They, they would wear hard team. hats. Uh, in one video, yeah. <laughs> so, Sophia and Mark Brunel. There is an ancient Chinese curse that translates to, may you live in interesting times. Pretty sure somebody said that on our whole generation. <laughs> this certainly applied well, to the Brunel family. I mean, it's always interesting. It really is. Yeah. Thanks I mean, again. But then, <laughs> this is um, this is a curse, though. So, oh, yeah. Okay. Isambard's interesting middle name, Kingdom, was taken from his mother's last name before she changed it after marrying Mark Isambard Brunel. Sophia had been born in England. At the age of 17, she went to France to improve her French. That's where you go. <laughs> She was the youngest of 16 children, and her father died when she was just eight years old. The decision to send her to France was made by her older brother. She had become ill on the trip and was too sick to go home during the lead-up to the French Revolution. Huh. Yeah. Good time to tap out. <laughs> uh, right? Good time not to be in France. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're going to be over here. Uh-huh. We can see it coming, kind of. Right. Uh, as a young lady in a foreign country, she would have seen frequent violent clashes on the street. France and Britain had been at war since February, so there was no way to obtain a passport for Sophia. The 18-year-old girl was stuck in France. So this is the time. Sure. Oct October 1793. Wow. A decree from the new government said that all English of any sex should be arrested as spies and their papers and possessions confiscated. So just imagine uh, that. Yeah, that's Imagine just asking people, like, for their papers. For the papers. Just at any point you wanted to. And then confiscating whatever you want to. Mm hmm Everything, if you, if you feel you must. Yeah. The authorities came for her that winter. She was arrested, put in a crowded open cart, and transported to grave lines halfway between Colas and Dunkirk. The prisons were... And now Dunkirk. Where is Dunkirk? I don't know where it is, but um, it was a... Pretty famous battle in World War Two. Okay. And they made a movie about it. In continental Europe? Uh, sure. Probably wasn't in... Were there any actual battles in World War One in England? No, no, no. World oh, sorry, War World War Two in England? Uh, yeah, probably. Yes. Ground there, battles? Uh, probably, because there were, there were definitely a lot of bombings. That's well, I know sure. that, but I was wondering about ground battles. Probably. I mean, there were... There was really a continent that was not safe during that entire war. A, a ground battle yeah. happened pretty much everywhere except for North America. South America didn't have any direct... Not direct. World War Two. But at fucking everywhere else. Europe, Asia... Africa, yeah, right? Because, like... For uh, damn sure, yeah. Um, Morocco and stuff. Okay. The prisons were full, so she ended up being held in a convent. The beds were wooden boards with an extra board for a pillow. Yikes. She lived on a diet of bread mixed with straw. 
Mm. Yikes. While at the convent, she could hear the roar of the bloodthirsty crowds and listen for the drum beats that accompanied the drop of the blade from the guillotine. She would have seen her fellow prisoners being led away to their executions. Sometime in late July or early August, the doors to her prison were left open. It took some time for the prisoners to realize they were free to leave. It, uh, she had been saved by a coup d'etat mm. in June 1794. The French were getting sick of the reign of terror and decided it was time for a change. It took a while for her to get a passport, and it was not until April 1795 that she was able to leave France and travel to London. It's so funny they had passports even back then. Well, sure, immigration has been um, tracked or regulated to some yeah. extent for But, but at that time, you could have had anybody's passport. because it, it would it, probably it be a lot easier. It didn't have a photo with it, that's for sure. That's <laughs> pre-photography, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little mini painted portrait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had to sit yeah, for your painted them, yeah, portrait. Yeah, might have. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Marc Isambard Brunel was born in France, and he fled to America during the French Revolution. He escaped from Paris only a day ahead of the barricades going around the city as Louis XVI's uh, execution approached. I love, I love that Stephen put the Roman numerals Mm -hmm. and then in parentheses, one six. (laughs) Yeah. Because it is not outside of the realm of knowing us that one or both of us would not know (laughs) and call. XVI. <laughs> no, uh, we know uh, our Roman numerals. Yeah. But I just think it's really nice that Stephen was like, hey, just in case, just I don't want you guys to make fools of yourselves because you do that on the reg. I'm, I'm a fan <laughs> of NFL football in their <laughs> biggest event every year and has Roman numerals. That's true. I remember world. learning Roman numerals in school. Super Bowl 16 would have been between... Because <laughs> we um, asked. <laughs> I'm asking. I'm telling. Um <laughs> Asked and answered. Super Bowl 16 would have been San Francisco's first ever Super Bowl win against Cincinnati. Both of their first Super Bowl appearances and the start of San Francisco. So somebody fact check me on that. Super Bowl 16 was between San Francisco and Cincinnati. And I believe the final score was 21 to 16. I believe you and have no interest in fact checking. Yeah. No, I'm saying like when somebody, oh, okay. when somebody listens. <laughs> I gotcha. Yes, not you right now. Okay. Mark and Sophia (laughs) were engaged before he had to leave France, and as Mark was a well-known royalist, the French thought that Sophia was a British spy. For a short while... Like, was he wearing a velvet suit? Is that what what (laughs) gave it away? With the britches, the Napoleon britches, and... And he was wearing, like, a horse head? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) For a short while, Mark was appointed chief engineer of New York City. Pretty important title. Yeah, but moved to England three years later. It's probably for the best. <laughs> he, he immediately searched for and found Sophia Kingdom in London. They married on the 1st of November, 1799. <laughs> how, do you, well, how do you find anybody? Well, I guess, I mean, I'm asking that now of 200-year-old technology. But, right. like, kids will ask, like, how did you find each other without GPS? Like, I don't know. We just did. <laughs> <laughs> you had phones. You could, like, plan and meet up. Not when and... I was in high school. No. No, I mean, like, you could call each other on your home phone. Yeah, and but say, that was, We're gonna that be was here it. At this I'm going to be here at this time. Uh-huh. And you were expected to show up there at that time. Yeah, otherwise, <laughs> you'd be assumed dead or did they just. get caught by the cops? <laughs> yeah. They were... they <laughs> Depends had all... on what you're meeting They had for. all the weed and beer. <laughs> Shit. 
If anyone ever asks you, what have refugees ever done for this country? You might want to point out to them that Mark Brunel, as chief engineer of New York City, was involved in many of the docks and buildings during his time in America. Uh, Who do you think worked those docks? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fucking pretty much strictly immigrants. Mm -hmm. That was it. If you are in England, the list of Mark Brunel's achievements are too long to list here. Yeah. Mark was also called Isambard by his peers, but most historians call him Mark to distinguish between father and son. And I hope I'm saying that right. It could be Isambard. I-S-A-M-B-A-R-D. Baird? Bard? Bard? I'm saying Isambard, like he's Spanish, but he's not at all, so. Sounds better than that. Isambard? It might be Isambard. Sure. Hmm. Mark Brunel designed machinery to automate the production of pulley blocks for the Royal Navy. This would have been seen as a very important job in the age of sail. Yeah, no joke. At first, Mark had problems convincing the Navy that his way of block moving, sorry, block making was better. Sophia's brother was a naval agent and helped convince the Navy that Mark's machinery was better than the technique used at the time. Hard to be an innovator. Sometimes people are like, eh, we like the we like the way we do it. Ugh. In 1821, Mark and Sophia went bankrupt. Ooh. Mark was sent to prison and Sophia chose to accompany him. Wow. Okay. I love you, but I would not accompany you to prison. I don't think I would either. I'm glad you said it first, though. (laughs) No, I wouldn't want you to accompany me to prison. Well, I mean, I don't want anything to do with a prison. Well, I know, but let's say... (laughs) If I had to go to prison... I wouldn't want you to come would, with me. But I'd visit you. I mean, well, of course, but yeah. I'm saying I wouldn't want you to have no. to experience that. No. Yeah, that's all. But apparently, Sophia was fine with it. Um, conditions... Like, hey, look, well, maybe back in that time, it was like, hey, we get three hots in a cot. Oh, well, also, Sophia had lived in that prison with eating straw and bread. Like, fucking whatever. With a wood pillow. She's so. like, there's nothing. She's like, I, I need a break. Yeah. Conditions might have been better than Sophia had encountered in France, but they would still have been pretty terrible. Fortunately for the Brunels, the Tsar of Russia realized what a great asset Mark was and offered to take him to Russia. Ooh, that's where you're glad you've got a skill. (laughs) England felt that it could not afford to lose the Brunels and ended up granting them the money to get them released on condition that Mark promised to stay in England. Well, then why the fuck did you throw him in jail in the first place? Especially for bankruptcy. Just to prove a point, probably. I guess. All right, so Eisenbard, Eisenbard, I don't know. Heisenberg. Heisenberg. We'll call him Heisenberg. <laughs> we'll call him Isa, or Isa. I'll oh, see, I can't even... Yeah, you can't, uh, can't make up your mind. This guy, oh. his early years. <laughs> From now on, if I ret- refer to Brunel, I am talking about Isenbard Brunel and not his father. Thank you, Stephen. Right, yeah, Stephen is like, we're, we're it's better. not going to make Rachel pronounce that anymore. Thank you. So he's just Brunel moving forward. Sophia and Mark spent a lot of effort educating their son. He had a good grasp of maths. I love the British maths. way Is of that, saying yeah. maths. Yeah. It's very cute. He talks in maths. <laughs> and it's, maths. A, it's a lyric in a Radiohead song. <laughs> and uh, there, Thom, Thom Yorkie is, mm-hmm. is British, right? Yes. And just about every article on him makes a point of mentioning that he already understood Euclidean geometry before he went to school. So what? Klingon geography? (laughs) I think I'm pronouncing that right because it's Euclid, I think. E-U-C-L-I-D. So Euclidean, yeah. Mm -hmm. Before he went to school. I guess I would find this more impressive if I actually could be bothered finding out what Euclidean geometry is. See, to me it just sounds hard. So I'm (laughs) I'm already impressed. 
I just uh, I just gave up on geometry and gave myself a C in high school because yeah, I couldn't make up my last, grades. That was literally the last math course I took. Cause really? In New York State at the time, all you needed was uh, two, years of, two years of math to graduate, and it was algebra and then geometry. I'm like, well, okay. now I'm done. Now I'm done. <laughs> I think you go on to like tricky sure, calculus yep. after that. Which I had no mm. fucking interest in doing at all. No, I still can't do algebra very well. Yeah. Brunel Jr. was sent off to boarding school at eight years old. At 14 years old, he was packed off to France to go to learn engineering at college, but the French considered him a foreigner and refused to take him. He ended up doing an apprenticeship as a clockmaker. He returned to London after finishing his apprenticeship. (coughs) Excuse me. Brunel ended up working with his father on a tunnel under the... Thames River. Yes, the Thames. The, not the Thames. The, the Thames, Thames. Not the Thames. The Thames. Mark and a man called Thomas Cochran invented a revo- revolutionary tunnel shield to help keep workers safe as they dug out the soft clay. That sounds pretty important. Why would you want to do that? <laughs> well, the tunnel can't, flooded. Can't you just get more workers if <laughs> other ones die? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, this is like the 1800s. These guys are fucking woke. (laughs) The tunnel flooded twice during the build. Eisenbard was lucky to survive the second flooding. The emergency exit had been locked. (laughs) How many times have we heard that? Jesus Christ. So again, I'm even amazed there is one. I know, right? In in the early 1800s or whatever. Uh, so I can totally, totally believe that it was locked. Yeah, so it was just luck that a contractor heard Eisenbard knocking and broke down the door. <laughs> Bruno was pulled from the tunnel unconscious. Wow. So he barely escaped. Not long after this, money for building the tunnel ran out, and it was seven years before work began again. Wow, that's that's quite it's a wild. layoff in that time. The, the big dig. Yeah. The tunnel was completed in 1841, becoming the first tunnel built under a navigational river. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. In 1841. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, yeah. Eisenbard went on to design a suspension bridge to go over the Avon Gorge in Bristol. He went on to design railways in the Bristol docks. The list of his achievements could make a podcast of its own. It sounds like it, yeah. It's a, just an engineering guy. Yeah. Most of his projects ran over budget. Brunel made sure that he never repeated his father's mistake and remind, relied mainly on backers' money rather than his own. That's right. Uh, yeah, never invest in your own projects. But you get, can get in trouble with yeah, investors, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's always, it's always the most wise to have somebody else finance it. <laughs> yes. Pl- bet with other people's money. Right? Yeah. Brunel designed three steamships. All were revolutionary, and each was larger than the other. Eisenbard believed in economies of scale. This meant that each of his designs was bigger than the ship designed before it. Larger steamships could carry more cargo for the same amount of fuel. Hmm. So Brunel's first ship, the Great Western, was the first steamship designed exclusively for the transatlantic run and was a huge risk. Her hull was made of wood and she was propelled by paddle wheels. These, we're talking like the Steamboat yeah, Willie. Yeah. You know, did you ever see that old uh, Disney cartoon? One of the early Mickey ones, uh, Mickey Mouse ones, Steamboat Willie? No. But it shows a steamboat like yeah, with I, the paddle. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I do know what a steamboat okay. is. Yeah. <laughs> she got off to a bad start. In 1838, as she sailed for Bristol to start her maiden voyage, 
a fire broke out in yeah, the engine room. Hey, what? At the, with with building code at this time, who'd have guessed? Well, it's this is isn't even a building; it's a ship. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying, but it's like you know, yeah, structure fire. Brunel was on board, and while trying to help, he fell twenty feet and was injured. Jesus yeah. Christ! Uh, one of the Lucky rung- he wasn't killed if he fell twenty feet right, into one, or onto what? Well, one of the rungs on the ladder he was climbing collapsed, so I'm pretty sure uh, onto the deck yeah, or onto or fucking, the floor, basically. Yeah. Landed with his feet. Probably hurt. Yeah, he probably like slid down. Oh, like no. If if a if a rung cartoon. all of a sudden came loose, he just twenty feet's not that high. No, you but you would slide down the ladder. That's true. You'd hit all the rungs and yeah. probably like bang up your chin. Uh, yeah. mm. But your adrenaline is just carrying you. Yeah, it has to be. Uh, Brunel fell, <laughs> fell on top of a man below and broke his fall. Poor guy. Nice. But both men went on to fully recover. Okay, go. very good, very yeah. good. I don't feel so bad for laughing. It was oh, it was bad luck for the man he landed on, but there was a good chance he would have died if the man hadn't been here and he had hit the deck with no cushioning. Yeah. Yeah. Or seriously backwards. Or yeah, or fucking paralyzed or Mm -hmm. yeah, knocked unconscious. Mm -hmm. That that would have been the end right there. Mm -hmm. The fire was put oh then this is in the middle of a fire. (laughs) The fire was put out and the damage was minimal, but as a result of the accident, fifty passengers canceled their bookings on the maiden run. When the Great Western finally sailed, she only had seven passengers on board. That's wow. so sad. That is sad That's pitiful. That is really sad. She was capable of carrying between 120 to 140 first class seven. passengers in luxury. Yeah. That must have been so demoralizing. It must have been great for those seven people, though. Right? Like, they have the run the, of the, ship. the whole ship. We're going to switch rooms each night. Yeah. <laughs> people were worried that a steam powered ship sailing the transatlantic route would run out of coal. This is one of the reasons that early it's steamships had sails. It's a long trip. So, yeah. That's... So, this is one of the reasons that the early steamships had sails. They can convert sure. into sailboats if they needed to. Makes sense. The Americans were keen to be the first people to be the first to be the first. <laughs> Oops. To be the first at least two different times. To be times. the first to be the first to be the first. That's right. To sail the Atlantic in that's how we. That's how we roll in America. <laughs> that's right. We're the first of the first of the first. To sail the Atlantic entirely under steam, and the delay caused by the fire on the Great Western gave them an opening. They chartered the 703-ton Sirius to make the trip. That's uh, S-I-R-I-U-S. Like, oh, um, Eye in the Sky by Alan Parsons Project. Yeah. Uh, the song Sirius, you've heard the tune Sirius. Sure. It was the Chicago Bulls theme song back oh, in the Jordan days. Yeah. You know that? I remember it. They played it, they played it at the end. <laughs> no, they played it at the beginning when they came out. And the players the, came out. Too. And at the end while they were playing. Okay, but the, they also yeah. played it at the okay. beginning. Yeah, I've heard it. Most famously, they played it at the beginning. I, I know from early bull, or 90s Bulls, my dad was a fan. Okay. The ship had been designed for short sea voyages between London and Cork and needed modification. The British and American Steam Navigation Company had some of her passenger accommodations stripped out to carry extra coal, I guess that makes sense, and managed to head off on the 18th of April, 1839, four days before the Great Western could be repaired and depart. The Sirius was carrying just 40 passengers and ran out of fuel just before she arrived. The captain ended up feeding doors, furniture, and one of the masts into the furnace to complete the trip. Hmm, Gotta do what you gotta do. I guess so. 
The Great Western arrived the next day. She had covered 354 more miles and was now the fastest ship on the transatlantic run, doing the trip in 15 and a quarter days with 200 tons of coal to spare. Wow. That sounds like a lot. That sounds pretty impressive for back then. Yeah, right? This is like the 1840s. Oh, it's only <laughs> going to take two and a half days? No, 15 and a quarter days. Oh, what, what was the two and a half you said? I thought you said two and a half something. I don't, I think well, I said a, 15 uh, and three quarters, anyway. and a quarter. Anyway. <laughs> 200 tons of coal? Maybe, Maybe that was it. That's what I misheard, but <laughs> yes, it does sound impressive. A couple weeks to cross the Atlantic? That's In not this bad. time? Yeah. yeah. The only advantage a steamship had over a sailing ship was its ability to make way at a steady speed without having to worry about the wind speed or direction. Because of the coal. Yep, yeah, because it's just, it's got a, a motor, mm-hmm. essentially. Well, not a motor per se, but you know. There was no guarantee that the Great Western would be financially competitive against the fast sailing ships around at this time. Clippers were the fastest commercial sailing ships at this time, but took roughly 43 days to get from England to America. Wow. Yeah. Which sounds about right for this time. Uh, Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's going to take a month and a half. Yeah. A sailing ship of the same size could hold much more cargo than a steamship because they didn't have to worry about carrying coal. That makes sense. Steamships needed a lot of coal, and restocking the coal could take a couple of weeks. While the Great Western was profitable, Brunel wanted to build a ship that was bigger and better rather than just building more ships from the same design. She was sold off for scrap in 1856. Hmm. Eisenbart originally designed his next steamship to use paddle wheels for propulsion, but he changed the design to run a single propeller. While other ships had been built of iron or had a propeller, the Great Britain was the first to combine both into a large ocean-going ship. She was almost as long as an American football field and was designed to carry 252 passengers with a crew of 130. It's interesting how few passengers are on these Mm -hmm. ships, you know, like uh, the size limitations of the technology, I guess. When launched in 1843, at 322 feet, she was the largest ship in the world by 100 feet. Wow. Yeah. There had been problems with building such a radical design, and she took five years longer to build than expected. That's why you have someone else's money that you're (laughs) using. Like most of Brunel's projects, the build was way over budget. The SS Great Britain was also equipped with sails. Okay, so now the sails are the backup plan, I guess. On her first trip from England to America, she took just over 14 days. So that is like a a day cut off of the time. This was a fast trip, but not a record-breaking one. A lot of people still didn't trust the new technology, and she sailed with under 50 passengers, far less than the 360 first-class passengers she had been designed to carry. The ship had a serious rat problem. (laughs) I'm guessing they all did. Yeah. Passengers reported them eating all sorts of odd things. One passenger woke up to find a rat chewing on her toenails. How is that first class? (laughs) I guess it's better than the rat eating your flesh. Maybe that's what happened down in, you know, non-first class. class. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) With far fewer customers than expected, she never managed to make money on the transatlantic run. When she ran aground in Northern Ireland in 1846, the company that owned her couldn't justify spending money to get her steam engines repaired. 
They decided to cut their losses, so she was sold to Gibbs, Brighton Company. The new owners replaced the engine and refitted the ship to carry more passengers, and she started on a new run from England to Australia. That's a ways. She was far faster than the sailing ships currently on this run, taking just 120 days to deliver her 750 passengers. Can you imagine committing that much time? No. To that's get four from, months. It, it's so funny how we're like, oh my god, that's like a 24-hour flight versus 120 Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The Great Britain had not been designed for such a long trip. She made over 30 trips and often carried over 600 passengers at a time. Because there was no refrigeration, she carried sheep, pigs, duck, geese, and turkeys to keep people fed. Passengers reported that the ship often smelled like a barnyard. They slaughtered animals. Well, because I was thinking the same thing. Like, it's four months, okay? Mm -hmm. How are you going to feed everybody? What are the bathroom facilities? Like that, uh, it's, uh, bathroom you know, facilities? I mean, like, it, it, let, horrible let's, is the let's, answer. Yeah, let's say it took like, it doesn't take longer than that. Let's say it took four months to get to Mars, though. Uh-huh. Think of all the planning ahead you have to oh, do yeah. to make that Trump, to, to make that trip even, you know, bottom line satisfactorily right. to everybody on board much less and this is in yeah there's no refrigeration in this time so they it's kept not, live animals that they slaughtered yeah. on board oh my god like today's turkey was steve he was in the, <laughs> he was in the pen earlier you remember today. steve yeah he was the one that everybody thought your kid became a friend with him in <laughs> yeah. the three months named that he him knew. steve yeah, we exactly. tried to we tried to tell him don't name him don't get don't attached to steve and now he's eating them there you go Oh, that's right, but your kid died a couple months ago of cholera, so even he's not around anymore. Oh my god, I'm so glad. You know, as as fucked as we are now, like, it's it's still better. So much better. Yeah, it's way better. In the late 1870s, the Great Britain's engines were getting old and they were removed. She was converted to to sail and ended her ocean-going career as a cargo ship. She was damaged in a storm as she rounded Cape Horn and ended up being used to store goods in the Falkland Islands. Huh. That was interesting. Impressive. By 1937, the Great... 1937? The Great Britain leaked so badly that she had to be beached a short distance from Port Stanley and left to rot. She was rescued in the 1970s and towed back to Bristol. She has been restored and is now in a museum. How interesting. Yeah. While the Great Britain was not... the not, outcome I had in mind. Right? <laughs> I, I thought she'd been I figured it would have been at the ocean. bottom of the ocean at some point. Yes. While the Great Britain was not a complete financial failure, she never made much money on her transatlantic run and probably ran at a loss most of the time. It would have made more economic sense to build a series of the Great Western clones for the yeah. transatlantic run. Yeah. Brunel started the design of his next ship in 1851. The Leviathan, that's a good Uh name, was designed to sail from England to Australia, carrying enough coal to do the trip both ways without refueling. At just under 700 feet long, she she held the record for being the largest ship built until 1899, that's almost 50 years, and could carry 4,000 passengers. He's like really upgrading here. The Leviathan would be six times bigger than any ship sailing at the time. Wow. Hence the name. Yeah. <laughs> he decided that such a large ship would need more than one means of propulsion, but the technicalities of twin propellers had yet to be worked out. 
So the design allowed for a single screw propeller and two, and two side paddle wheels. She would also carry sails as a backup. A new company was formed called the Eastern Steam Navigation Company to finance the venture. Again, not uh, Brunel's money. At the time her plans uh, were being finalized, Henry Bessemer was still working out an effective way to use oxygen to reduce the carbon content in iron to produce steel. To make a 700-foot-long hull out of iron strong enough not to break in the middle, Brunel used a double hull. This means that the ship had an inner and outer layer of watertight iron just a few feet apart. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like an internal and external structure. Problems with the build started before construction even began. On the 10th of September, 1853, a fire broke out in the shipyard of John Scott Russell. So many fires. Deck planking and the plans for the ship were destroyed. Oh my God! Can you imagine the plans? And it's not like they had ten copies because no. they didn't—they couldn't copy. Shit. No, they couldn't. There, there was not a copier. No, <laughs> no. A copier was like a little—it's a—it was a different person that wrote down everything. Right? Else. Yeah, like a scribe. Basically. <laughs> yeah. They did have a printing press, but they would have had to put the original Generate plans it. in. Yes, yeah, from exactly. There. Yeah. Man. Russell was not insured and decided to hide his loss to Brunel. Work began five months later. Wow. John Scott Russell helped design and build the ship. Both engineers were keen to claim most of the credit for the design at the expense of the other engineer's reputation. The price Mr. Russell gave to do the job was far less than Eisenbart had estimated building the ship would cost, so the offer was accepted. John was already in debt, and that may have been why his offer was unrealistically low. Yeah. That's the problem. Like, if, if, if something's too low, it means somebody's in trouble and is just desperate for the work. There were no slipways big enough to build a ship that big, and the ship was going to be longer than the Thames River was wide. Jesus Christ. What? 700 feet. That's pretty long. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. For then. I mean, right, that, right. That, you yeah. can do it now, right? Yeah. yeah. The solution, I wonder what the world's biggest ship today is. That'd be interesting, yeah. you know? Probably a cargo ship somewhere or something. Probably. A freighter they're, or a, they're pretty fucking an big. aircraft carrier or something. Yeah. Um, the solution was to turn everything side on to the river and launch the ship sideways. Okay. It was not long before the Leviathan claimed her first victim. Attaching the iron plates to the inner and outer hull was done with rivets. 200 rivet gangs were used for the 3 million rivets needed to do the job. Okay. It's wild. These rivets were an inch thick. One workboy fell headfirst from the structure and was impaled on a standing iron bar. Jeez. Oh my god, that's grisly. Yeah. It's grisly. Each riveting squad had five members. So there's a thousand people. Literally a thousand mm-hmm. people involved. Two riveters, one holder on, and two boys, also called bash boys. <laughs> one to heat the rivets, the other to insert them into the hole. Because the gap between the inner and outer hull was only three feet, the bash boys were adolescents, often starting work when they turned 12. Oh, they're, they're old. It should have been like five, old, like old the timers. chimney sweeps. Yeah. <laughs> These young boys were dealing with white hot rivets and burns were an occupational risk. I would guess yeah. it's an occupational uh, everyday occurrence. Just life. At you this know, point yeah. in time is an occupational hazard. <laughs> Living is dangerous. <laughs> yes, being alive. Mm-hmm. 
While the outer skin was being riveted, the holder on and his boy were often passing whole days or weeks in the confined space between the hulls with little light other than that from a candle and enduring the deafening thunder of 400 riveters hammers 12 hours a day, six days a week. Yeah. Yikes. I'm surprised they had a day off. But workers don't need rights. It's okay. (laughs) Working on the site was dangerous. Yeah. (laughs) And during construction, several workers fell to their deaths. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, it was not long before John Scott Russell's creditors start demanding that they got paid. They start showing up and being like, hey. Yeah. About that what's, money. What's you guys got going on around here? <laughs> Be ashamed if something happened yeah. to your ship. Yeah. Jeez. 1,200 tons of iron had gone missing. Yeah, I bet it did. Brunel got hold of the people who were financing the build, and they formed a new company called the Great Eastern Ship Company. The shareholders of the Eastern Steam Navigation Company, the similar names start to get confusing after a while, lost all their money. Mm-hmm. The new company purchased the ship so the building would continue. Mm. Against Brunel's yeah, advice... Imagine, imagine the business fuckery at this time. Oh, jeez. My God. Ugh. You could get away with pretty much anything, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, we know what it's like now. Yeah. yeah. Against Brunel's advice, Russell was taken on to complete the build. Having two bosses that hated and distrusted each other must have made the job even more difficult. Well, I'm guessing it didn't help. Much more fun. Yeah. Brunel suspected that the lost iron had been stolen by Russell, but there's a good chance that the real problem was Russell's shoddy bookkeeping. There were problems throughout the build, and fatalities would have been seen as part of the price of building a ship. Yeah. I'm surprised that only six people died during the construction of the Leviathan. Yeah. Yeah. I would have expected a higher death toll. There are no records on how many people were injured. Yeah, because it's probably considered normal. Uh, Yeah. I mean, uh, a third-degree burn, putting in a rivet, would have been a serious injury. Yeah. Not for these people. I'm like, yeah. Ah, Jimmy got burned again. Have a cigarette, kid. (laughs) Yes, right? What are you, nine? (laughs) (laughs) It's time for your first... I don't know what they smoke over there. I don't know a brand. Well, back in the 1800s, uh, especially, right? Yeah, you watch it first, uh, Winchester. <laughs> why are they? Why are they from from the the Bronx they're, here? They're transatlantic. Oh, oh, I see. Yes, they're all transatlantic. Well, they all working on a transatlantic ship now, aren't they? Ah, a week before the launch date, a riveter fell to his death, and rumors began that the ship was unlucky. It was the seventh person that did that. It's also called a <laughs> Leviathan. Yeah, that's not a great name. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it just has impending doom written all over it. The Leviathan is a monster in yeah, the Bible, so yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It is kind of a cool name. Oh, why has no sports team, major sports team, call themselves the Leviathan? Probably because it has, like, Religious reference? Well, I mean, it's a deep cut religious reference. There is the Saints of New Orleans, but that's kind of... And it wouldn't even be the Leviathans. It would be the Leviathans. There's probably been like a minor league team that's had that name. It'd be a great name. Yeah, minor league teams get to have whatever name they want because nobody's ever going to notice. You know what? It would have been better than the Kraken. They should have called themselves the Seattle Leviathan. Mm. I mean, Kraken is cool too, and it's a cool monster, but, you know. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> As launch day approached, an ar- oh, <laughs> here we go. As launch day approached, an argument broke out about the ship's name. <laughs> Some of the backers wanted the name changed to the Great Eastern because of the company. That's, Eismark- that's, that's boring as fuck. No, no, no. no. Eism- 
Eisenbard was asked his opinion, and he had a little hissy fit, saying, quote, they could call it Tom, Tom Thumb for all he cared, end quote. Tom Thumb. That's the best that guy can come up with. Right? That's like a major insult for the day. <laughs> Good day, sir. Good day, Tom Thumb. Thumb Tom. Tom Thumb. Yeah. Yeah, Tom Thumb. Good day to you, sir. He was almost certainly more worried about having a successful launch than a little thing like the name. He had always referred to it as his great babe. Lots hey, of it. The, name it that. There the great go. babe. Yeah. There you go. See, this, this, this guy, <laughs> it's no, easy. no vision. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of his detractors had been predicting failure, and to make matters worse, he, worse, he knew his instructions on what equipment was needed to make things run smoothly were almost completely ignored. On top of the fact that this is the biggest ship in the world at mm-hmm. the time. So they don't even know, like, is this going to work? Yeah. There's like, a lot of question marks here. Yeah. Like, is this thing too fucking big? Like... Or any other. Plus, it's been plagued by all these. Do we have enough coal? Do we have the right sails? What is enough coal? Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they've worked all that out. All but, the math or whatever, but. But, yeah. This kid could do Euclidean geometry. It's yes, fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all good to go. Well, uh. Uh, all right, the shipping company had been selling tickets to the public and even erected a grandstand, making everything a big event. And the grandstand also caught on fire. Yeah, right? Probably. Everything's <laughs> Probably catching did. on fire. Brunel and or somebody Russell... got impaled on it. Yes. Like one or the other. It fell to their deaths. <laughs> yeah. Brunel and Russell had never agreed on the best way to launch the ship, but because Russell's way was cheaper, there's no prize for guessing which method was the winner. Yeah, I, I wonder. Oh, when the massive blocks were removed to start the ship's sliding, a winch controlling the speed spun out of control. Killing one person and injuring four others. The Leviathan moved only three feet before getting stuck. <laughs> it took three months and all the remaining money designated for the build to oh get the ship God. into the Thames. This is like the bad news bears of uh, with no redeeming qualities. You have to be in there like on launch day <sighs> and then it doesn't actually get out of like the small place it's in for another three months. <laughs> It's ridiculous. What did you do it's to report ridiculous. on those three months? Like, if you were a newspaper. Right. Reporter, like, <laughs> it's still three feet out. It's still there. It's still there, folks. Oh, ten feet. I think I saw it move a centimeter. I could be wrong. Even then, an exceptionally high tide was needed to complete the job. With all the money spent, there were some cost-cutting measures taken, it was decided that rather than using her for the Australian run, it'd be better to sail her to America. Like, maybe we're too ambitious, you know? <laughs> we're going to dump these people off. <laughs> you wanted to go to Australia, it's but like, have you heard of like, America? Uh, and the British are like, yes, we have. We just fought a, a second war against them <laughs> yes. like 40 years ago. That's right. Like, um, And we're still kind of pissed about it. Uh-huh. Like, uh, here you go. <laughs> Oh Even though the second one was basically a tie, but whatever. <laughs> so this meant they could save money on the fit out. At this time, her name was changed to the Great Eastern. On the, on the fit out. I don't know what that means. I, I just know. kept going. It sounds British. <laughs> it does. Whatever it is. <laughs> what probably made the decision easier was the fact that the contract to deliver mail to Australia had been won by P&O. The mail run was the thing that made the trip profitable as she would have had to carry enough coal to complete the trip both ways without... Re- restocking coal so it was 
gonna make extra money by running mail or been profitable by running mail, but they lost the contract. So finally, she was finished and floating. Brunel must have. <laughs> that's, that's good. <laughs> Not sinking. There's I mean, I mean, that. Not they got, healing. They got the floating. They got they got the whole point of the ship right. It's floating. <laughs> it's floating. That's good. That's step one. That's step one. <laughs> Brunel must have breathed a sigh of relief. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit! Floating. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> at five times larger than any other ship at the I time, mean, measured yeah. by tonnage. That that actually is pretty. You well, would wonder if it just sink. Well, you I mean, know. Well, I mean, imagine seeing it. Yeah, that'd be like, really impressive. And it's element being like, holy fuck, like, mm-hmm. look at the size of that fucking thing. No it's joke. floating? Mm-hmm. Which well, le- here which, you go. Which would lead to other engineering that, feats, that's I'm right. sure. At five times larger than any other ship at the time measured by tonnage, she must have looked impressive with her five funnels with two paddle wheels five stories high. That's pretty crazy. Her propeller was as tall as a two-story building. That is that's huge. The, yeah. That is huge. Imagine what it went. Imagine what went into making the propeller. How many lives? <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> and getting it there and it, and fitting it up, like I mean, yeah. Honest to God, like, with no I mean, bro- no machines at all. No, um, and no computers, Mm-mm. no, no nothing. This is all manual. Like, like you know, working in manufacturing, like it's hard enough in modern day with computers and the whole bit. I can only fucking imagine. I don't want to, you know. I can kind of imagine. I, I get kind of a sense of like what it must have been like a hundred years ago, but it's yeah. just like holy. It's like how. It's like how. How did these people do this? That's why I always say like if uh, early humans were like me, we would have just died out because I'd just be like I don't know. Yeah, it's... I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't be here. Let's just <laughs> let's just die out. <laughs> oh look, there's a dinosaur over there. Let me go talk to it. Right. <laughs> Hi, little Velociraptor. The Great Eastern... Oh, yeah. yeah, Okay. Great Eastern had five funnels and six masts. When she was under sail power, the paddle wheels and the propeller couldn't be used because sparks from the funnels would set the sails on fire. That's a good reason not to do that. It's a good reason not to use them. Yes. At the same time. The final cost for the ship was five times over budget. That's... Let's get it done. But that's so cringe. That's horrific. That's terrible. And you know what? I bet this thing cost like $3 million. At the time. Yeah. Which, which is the, like which $10 billion which today or something. Would be like a billion. <laughs> right? Billions I, and billions and billions and billions and billions. and billions and billions. Oh, many of the investors wanted the ship sold. Yeah, you're fucking right. <laughs> to try and recoup some of their yeah, money. Something. They wanted it sunk. Like, insurance would, like, somehow. Yes. Like, let me at least get 90 cents on the dollar. These are early days of insurance. Although, insurance yeah. did start with ships. That was the first oh, thing. Oh, hell yeah. Extra capital was raised to keep the project afloat. Pun not intended. <laughs> yeah. On September the 6th, 1859. Oh, my God. Brunel had a stroke on the deck and had to be carried off the ship. <laughs> it took it that long to... Surprised knew what a stroke was. <laughs> right. Well, they know now. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? At 10.30 on the same day while the new ship was undergoing sea trials, a boiler exploded, 
One funnel was yeah. launched into the air like a rocket, and some internal bulkheads were damaged. It's not a very good trial now. This is, is it? like. <laughs> I mean, that's but that's why it's on this thing. It's on a sea trial. But then they should have but, just never. Well, yeah, it's like shit exploded and things happened. And we need to not sail it. You failed. <laughs> that's a that's a. Oh my god. Good, good day to you, sir. Yeah, two temporary stopcocks. I don't know what that is, but it's a funny word. Yeah. Had been turned off, causing the explosion, killing five people and injuring several others. So we're up to like 12 deaths. That's like the fucking Hoover Dam of ships. Yeah. All yeah. these workers, right? A lot of workers died there too. Yeah. Some people blame this for Brunel's death nine days later. Mm. But he was known to smoke 40 cigars a day. How was that even possible? Like just physically. Was overweight and already suffered from kidney disease. He had needed to take several holidays because of his ill health. The accident was widely reported and many people changed their bookings to another ship, probably wisely. Um, real quick, just to say there is a relatively tenuous link between uh, weight and health. So just something to consider. Read uh, what we don't talk about when we talk about that. By Aubrey Gordon. Okay. When the decision was made to change the transatlantic run, the new company decided to use Portland, Maine as the place to dock as the water around the pier at New York was too shallow. This thing is displacing a lot of water. So, yeah. Maine built new facilities for this huge ship. The Great Eastern was so large, a new pier needed to be built. Not long before it was finished, a dredge was used to make New York suitable, so Maine yeah. was left with the purpose-built pier and no ship to use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds, sounds like New sounds York. Sounds like something they would do. Sounds like New York, yeah. yeah. All these, all, all, the, all the hopefulness. Yes, of uh, Maine. Paul and Maine up there. Like, uh, we've, they're like, we built this like six months ago. Like, what's going on? Is the ship, did it, did it sink? Like, like no, we're looking out for it. Where yeah, is it? Like, they're all they're like, all there in their li- with their little banners and no, because New York City has like infinite amounts of resources. They just dredge the channel and <laughs> now they can fit it. We'll make it. We'll, it's, we'll it's make much it better. Work. It's much better for their street cred anyway. If they're going in and out of New York City rather than that's true. Rather than Maine. Than Maine, yeah, Portland. Even today, like uh, nobody's yeah. first destination in America for the first time is Maine. Not really. It's generally that's like, beautiful. For it is it's great. I understand. But nobody's like, take me to Maine. That's the first <laughs> place I want to go. Right. <laughs> I mean, uh, you can say the same. Like nobody's like, take me to Raleigh, North Carolina. That's true. I want, like no, New York City, San Francisco, all the all the Miami, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. Dallas, mm-hmm. you know. Oklahoma City. (laughs) (laughs) I I just had to throw a wrench in that one. One person said that. (laughs) Preparations were made for the first trip to set off on June 14th, 1860. Captain John Vine Hall, that's a good name, decided to postpone the trip as the crew was reported to be drunk. (laughs) That's a good reason. reason. Uh, She left on the 17th with just... (laughs) 35 paying passengers and 418 crew. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. So, like, the crew got to be oh the passengers. Like, at, like, no, they had when, to when work were, to get no, the damn when they ship. No, when they were off duty. Like, like that one hour a day. Well, they were getting drunk, probably. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Mm. Well, we know they were, because that's why it couldn't... Yeah. <laughs> that's why it couldn't start in the on, when it needed to in the first place. The voyage took 10 days and 19 hours. That's, that's pretty, pretty quick. That's pretty good. Really yeah. good. 
On arrival, because they had so few people on board. <laughs> right, it's really, there was it's no really, weight. it's less body weight. I mean, yeah. really, that's probably that's, part of it. That's not. It was. <laughs> it was designed to carry four thousand people. Yeah. So yeah. On arrival, she managed to hit the pier and damage it, <laughs> losing the company even more money as they had to pay for the repairs. To try and recoup some money, New I mean, Yorkers, yeah, well, New I mean, Yorkers were charged one dollar to take a oh look at the God. ship. Well, I mean. But think about that. That's, I mean, that's something we, we were just talking about, like the size of the ship. And the, but that's something we didn't even take into consider. Like you have to dock it at some point. Yeah, and, and it's and, hard to stop something that big from moving. It's not like it's not like somebody sent them a text of a photo or like a three D image of Here's what this what ship you're looks yeah. like. Mm-hmm. Somebody sent them a letter by a falcon. <laughs> Maybe the Falcon made it, maybe it didn't. In this case, the Falcon made it because they actually built a pier. But they still didn't know like how to fucking build it because they're like, we've never seen. Right. We've never seen something the size of two and a half football fields because, right. number one, we don't know what a football field is. It doesn't exist yet. <laughs> and number two, like we barely got the Falcon in time. Yeah. So, like, Can you imagine I, them seeing like, oh, I think I see the ship. Oh, let's yeah. all wave. Oh, oh, it's coming into view. Oh, oh, it's it's a little bigger. It's a little bigger than we anticipated. Oh, that that thing is big. That thing is no, 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 not gonna work. Not, not gonna work. work. Turn around. Turn around. Go to Portland. Go to Maine. <laughs> yes, go to Maine. Go to the biggest estuary oh. you can find. Oh my goodness. The only time the Great Eastern sailed with a full passenger manifest was when she was chartered by the British government to carry troops to Canada. That makes sense. She was just just hey, too any technology eventually gets militarized. That's true. It, it always does. It even starts in the military or right? Yeah, or finishes that way. One or the other. She was just too big and too slow to complete with her purpose built competitors. On the I'm sure the troops were like, Hey, this is pretty cool. Yeah, right? This is nice. On the 17th of August, 1862, around 2 p.m., while approaching New York, the great ship struck a submerged rock. Like Titanic's collision with an iceberg. Scrape the fucking bottom of it. Most passengers were initially unaware that the ship's hull had been compromised and water was pouring in. Yeah. The Great Eastern... They did not have water-controlled compartments at this time. That's for fucking they damn sure. They had bulkheads, sure. but not but the... Not, no, no, not the sophisticated... I wouldn't think nope. so. The sophisticated lock-offs nope. and all that, yeah. Hell no. The Great Eastern sailed into harbor with a gash in her outer hull larger than the one that sank the Titanic, delivering her passengers safely. Oh, okay. I wasn't expecting Surprise that. ending. Where's Twist the, ending. Where's the tragedy in here? Like, where is it? Is I think it, is the it... ship itself is kind of like a comedy of errors, except for yeah. the 12 dead people yeah. at this point. Uh, but well, let's see. We have to keep going. I, I was I was really expecting that. Okay, now we're going to get into it. Like but... a main... Well, well let's... We, we have a few more pages. Let's keep okay. going. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, <laughs> oh, jeez. The, the, oh, jeez. The rock was big enough to penetrate deep enough to get to the inner hull, but the bulkheads between the two hulls were strong enough to prevent this from happening. Okay. That's wild. No one realized the ship was even damaged until it was noticed that there was a slight list after she docked. Oh, but we're walking on a little bit of an angle here. It reminds me of the end of the Twilight Zone, the movie, where the guy goes crazy at the entire time. There's a monster on the plane, and he's dead. Oh, yeah. And nobody realizes it until the plane actually lands, and, and they're like, the... they're like, 
holy fuck, like, are you, are uh-huh. you seeing this? Uh-huh. And it's like, no, the crazy guy tried to tell you the yeah, whole time. Yeah, If you just listen to There's John There's a man Lithgow. on the wing of this plane! <laughs> uh, a diver went down and reported the massive hole. This caused a problem. The ship was too big to fit in any dry dock, and the company oh was God, almost broke. Jeez. Yeah. Deciding... You can, at that time, you certainly cannot fix that from the water. Right. There's no uh, way. Deciding to throw good money after bad, a dam was built around the Great Eastern and the water was pumped out. <clears throat> the repairs took several months and cost $350,000. For that okay. time, that's a shit ton of money. The inflation calculator doesn't even go back that It does, and it only goes a century. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll just put it at a billion. She only managed to make one more trip to New York before company funds dried up completely, and she was laid up in 1864. That might be it. That might be it. Let's see. A group of investors formed yet another company called the Great Eastern Steamship Company and managed to pay only $125,000 for her. So just to recap on the history of the company so far, we started with the Eastern... I was going to say this is a different generic name. I know, right? The Eastern Steam Navigation Company. Then we had the Great Eastern Ship Company. Now we have the Great Eastern Steamship Company. It's kind of like a Jefferson Airplane to Jefferson Starship to, to Starship. Starship. <laughs> to Starship Enterprise to Enterprise That's a to Enterprise Rent-A-Car. <laughs> Different franchises, but it still works. <laughs> no, that's how Jefferson Airplane started a rental car. Yes, now they're Jane. Enterprise Rental. Mm-hmm. Gray Slick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the ship had proved herself to be a big lemon on the London to New York run, and with the American Civil War on at the time, mm. things were likely unlikely to get Bus- better. Business was booming. The Suez Canal was due to be finished in 1869, oh, wow. but the Great Eastern was far too large to use it. The new company stripped. Yeah, because they're like they're like we like like <laughs> they, we we didn't like the yeah. The new company stripped out all of the passenger accommodation and fitted the Great Eastern out for cable laying. Finally, her great size became an asset rather than a liability. This was a huge gamble for the new company. They would only get paid if the job was successful. Well, this this whole ship has been one giant gamble. There had been a transatlantic cable in... Oh, this is to do transatlantic. Yes. Oh. Yes. There had been a transatlantic cable in the 1850s, but it had only managed to last three weeks before failing. Telegraph was the internet of the day, and if successful, the time needed for a message to cross the Atlantic would go from two weeks to two minutes. That's crazy. That is wild for the time. That's like a major improvement. The Great Eastern's first attempt at laying the cable was started at noon on the 15th of July, 1855, but 1,062 miles, or 1,968 kilometers, into a trip, there was an accident and the end of the cable was lost. Oh, no. Oh, my God. It's still down there, too. Uh, probably. <laughs> it's still down there. Or they managed to, like, reel in a thousand know. miles I, I, of I don't cable. Know. It says they lost it. So that, to yeah. me, that means they lost it. Otherwise. The second attempt started on July the 13th, 1866, and was successful 14 days later. 
later on the Great Eastern helped find and repair the first cable. They were no shit. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. She How? Went, I have no idea. That's a story in itself. <laughs> I know. How did they find it? They didn't have, like, radar. Well, no, they didn't have anything. No. They didn't have scuba gear. They didn't, nothing. Somebody they, held their breath to go down right? the ocean. Yeah. Did they have, like, a... <laughs> they had a team of people relay through the o- Atlantic Ocean. Yeah, or, like, or like oh bed sheets God. or something. <laughs> A thousand miles worth of bed sheets. Wow. They're like, like, hey, Captain, holy fuck, you'll never believe, we got it with the bed sheets. (laughs) She went on to have a short but successful career laying cables as far away as India. Soon people started building ships that were designed for cable laying and could do a better job. She (laughs) She ended up as a floating circus and then as a billboard. Okay. (laughs) That's the indignity. Yeah. Well, hey. In 18... <laughs> this ship had all sorts of lives. <laughs> in 1888, she was sold as scrapped. As scrap. Yet again, the curse of the Great Eastern struck. Isambard Burnell had designed the ship so well that it cost more to pull her to pieces You're than the metal was me. worth. Oh my god. Most people will have heard the ballad of the Edmund Fitzgerald. Not so many have heard the ballad of the SS Great Eastern by Sting. Oh, we have to look that up. Do we? It tells the... <laughs> you mean, you mean the, the, the artist? Yes, Sting. Sting. Yeah. Uh, Gordon Sumner. Sting, uh, yes. I, I might take a pass on that one. <laughs> it tells the story of the skeletons of a man and a boy found when the ship was broken up. Oh, Jesus Christ, in between the holes. It suggests that the pair must have been riveted inside. There's no evidence that this is true, but you should never let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> I did find an account of her, this is Stephen, obviously, I did find an account of her being used to carry American corn to England. Apparently, she flooded the market with cheap corn and crashed the local corn market. Yeah, that's what we do. Brunel's idea of such a big ship was just too far ahead of his time. The technology wasn't advanced yeah. enough yet. Yeah. The Great Eastern may well have been successful if she had been used for her intended purpose. And that, my friends, is a story oops, of the Great Eastern. What a crazy story. Or Brunel's White Elephant. That was a wild ride. And a lot less horrible than I thought. I mean, way less. It's more of a. They expected horribleness. People People died. People died building things, even today. Especially back then. Yes. Again, I'm surprised it was as few as it was. No joke. Um, Yeah. But. (laughs) That that was. That was, that was like almost semi comical, except for the people who died. Yeah. Yeah. Except for that part. Hmm. Like, somebody essentially built, like, a floating city, and none of the rest of the world's infrastructure was ready for that yet. You're right. That, that's true. It was infrastructure issues. <laughs> yes. The Thames was too yeah. short, and they didn't know how to, or yeah. too narrow, they and they didn't know how to do it. They couldn't get it off the it. fucking banks. They, I mean, yeah. They couldn't dock it. Yeah. They couldn't figure out how to fix just, it. Yeah. It was just yeah. like, we're not ready for this thing. Like, it's wow. not. Wow. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. It, it was ahead of its time, like, like Stephen yeah. said. Yeah. Now, I mean, that's just like, that's just a ship. It's cruise ships, yeah, are bigger than that, probably. Oh, fuck yeah. Uh, I mean, the... What's that? I wonder what that... I'm going to look at look that up. What is the average length of a cruise ship? So this one was 700. Let's see. Average cruise... I would guess around 1,000 ship Length yeah. is... Let's see. The world's largest aircraft... Oh, aircraft carrier. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Not exactly is a over cruise a, ship. No. 
Oh, cruise ships come in all shapes and sizes. The largest sure. ships are over 1,100 feet long. Oh, that was close. Yeah. So an average length of 1,000 feet or 300 meters. Yeah, like three to four football fields long. So that's busy. really, considering that his ship was like five times bigger than ships at the time, yeah. it's not that far off. 700 feet is not, now. yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. That's what I'm saying. Like, imagine being on it and mm-hmm. building it and like being there for the whole journey like this guy was and being like, like right. look at this fucking thing. Like, it must have been like at the time... <laughs> For the few people that witnessed it, it was mm-hmm. probably like a wonder of the world. It was yeah, just basically. like, what the fuck is this? Uh, like, an industrial like, marvel. Like, this is a ship? Right. Like, it's the size of a fucking city block. Uh, it was like, this is Noah's Ark or something like that. Yeah. Pro- I'm mm-hmm. sure if enough pe- if, if the internet had been around then, right. if they had laid the telegraph lines before they mm-hmm. built it. Right. Because you know there was one telegraph person that was like the Alex Jones of his time. <laughs> right. <laughs> like the British are coming again. They never left. In fact, they're still here. Um, but... Yeah. The So the, the good liars, you know, mm-hmm. um, r- recently went to the Creationist Museum oh in Kentucky. God. Oh, my God. And are, we're interviewing... Who's the guy that were the weird... Oh, my God. I forget his Ken name. Ken ha- Hammond? I think that's his name. Ken Hamill? He debated um, Bill Nye yes. at one point. I forget his name. I think that's his name. Something like that. I don't remember. But anyway, they uh, they had what... I think they had what they said was like a life... Or to scale replica of Noah's Ark. <laughs> and so they were interviewing a guy, you know, who had gone to the museum. Like, so so Noah fit two of every kind of animal on this, on this ship, millions right? Millions of animals. And this guy, this person was like rationalizing how yeah but my son pointed out they were probably all all baby animals and that's how they could fit. it's yeah. just like yeah. yeah you keep doing those gymnastics because they wouldn't have grown up in the years that they were in that arc not yeah oh my god no. that would not have happened they 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 stayed that way they were all dwarf yeah. varietals yeah Oh, it's like it's like pro life people will convince you that like no like as soon as you come as a man <laughs> like you have a full grown child and it just hangs out there for nine months you know it's a full grown baby and you just you're killing it yeah. so thank you Stephen yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry sorry about that everybody Should probably edit that out leave it with a good image huh? <laughs> yeah. No, that was that was really entertaining. It was. That was incredibly entertaining. Or Brunel's White Elephant. That, yeah. That's a good song title or a band name. A Brunel's White Elephant? Yeah. 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 So <laughs> that was the Great Eastern or Brunel's White Elephant, which that that caught me immediately. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, oh, the what? This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week. <laughs>